Section 24 of The Exemplary Novels of Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. The Exemplary Novels by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. Translated by Walter K. Kelly. The Jealous Estramaduran, Part 2. Presently the whole flock of doves came to the lure of the guitar, and among them was the simple Lenora, trembling for fear her husband should awake. So great was her dread of his discovering her absence, that her women had difficulty in persuading her to make the hazardous venture. But they all, especially the duenna, told her such wonderful things of the sweetness of the music, and the engaging manners of the poor musician, whom, without having seen him, they extolled above Absalom and Orpheus, that they persuaded her to do what she would never have done of her own accord. Their first act was to bore a hole in the turning-box through which they might peep at the musician, who was no longer clad in rags, but in wide breeches of buff silk, cut sailor-fashion, a jacket of the same material, a satin cap to match, and a starched, double-pointed ruff, all of which he had brought in his wallet, expecting that he would have to show himself on an occasion which would require him to change his costume. Loesa was young, good-looking, and of pleasing deportment, and as the eyes of all the women had been so long accustomed only to the sight of old Carizales, they fancied as they looked at Loesa that they beheld an angel. Each of them took her turn at the peephole, and that they might see him the better, the negro stood by him with a lighted flambeau, which he moved up and down before the maestro's body. After all the women, from the lady of the house down to the two negresses, had thus gratified their eyes, Loesa took his guitar, and played and sang more bewitchingly than ever. Leonora's women were bewildered with delight, and all besought Luis to contrive so that the Signor Maestro should come in through the inner door, so that they might hear and see him better, instead of squinting at him through a gimlet hole, and without the risk they ran of being caught in the fact by their master, which would not be so great if they had the musician concealed inside. Their lady strenuously opposed this proposition, declaring she would not permit any such thing. She was shocked to hear them mention it, for they could hear and see him well enough as it was, without danger to their honour. "'Honour!' exclaimed the duenna. "'The king has plenty.' Your ladyship may shut yourself up with your Methuselah, if you have a mind, but leave us to amuse ourselves as well as we can, the more so since this seigneur appears to be too much the gentleman to ask anything of us but what would be pleasing to ourselves. Never, interposed Loesa, I come hither, ladies, with no other intention than to offer you my humble services, with all my heart and soul, moved by commiseration for the unparalleled rigour of your confinement, and for the precious moments that are lost to you through this recluse way of life. By the life of my father, I am a man so artless, so meek, so tractable and obedient, that I will never do more than I am bidden. If any one of you should please say, Maestro, sit down here, Maestro, step this way, step that way, go yonder, I will do just as you bid me, like the tamest and best-trained dog that jumps for the king of France. Well, if that be so, said the inexperienced Leonora, what is to be done, 
so that the Signor Maestro may come in. Nothing can be easier, said Loesa. So please you, ladies, just take the trouble to make an impression on wax with the key of this door, and I will take care that by tomorrow night another shall be made exactly like it, which will answer our purpose. With that key, one of the women remarked, we shall have those of the whole house, for it is a master key. So much the better, said Loesa. That is true, said Leonora, but this signor must first of all swear that when he is inside here he will not attempt to do anything but sing and play when he is asked, and that he will keep close and quiet wherever we may put him. I swear to this, said Loesa. That oath is good for nothing, replied Leonora. The signor must swear by the life of his father, and by the cross, which he must kiss in sight of us all. I swear by the life of my father, said Loesa, and by the sign of the cross, which I kiss with my unworthy mouth, and crossing two of his fingers he kissed them three times. That will do, said one of the women, and now, signor, be sure you don't forget the powder, for that is the main thing of all. Here the conversation ended for that night, and all parties retired highly satisfied with the interview. Good luck had evidently declared in favor of Loesa, and just then, about two o'clock in the morning, it brought his friends to the door. On their giving the usual sign by blowing a French horn, he went to the door, told them what progress he had made, and asked if they had bought the powder or other drug to put Carizales to sleep. At the same time he spoke to them respecting the master key. They told him that on the following night they would bring the powder, or else an ointment of such virtue, that one had only to rub the patient's wrists and temples with it to throw him into such a profound sleep that he would not wake for two days, unless the anointed parts were well washed with vinegar. As to the key, he had only to give them the impression in wax, and they would have a false one made forthwith. Having said this, the friends retired, and Loesa and his pupil went to rest for the short remainder of the night. The next day hung heavily on hand, as always happens to those who are filled with eager expectation. But the longest day must have an end, and Loesa's impatient desire was at last gratified. The appointed hour having arrived, all the domestics, great and small, black and white, repaired to the turning-box, longing to see the Signor Musico fairly within their seraglio. But Leonora was not there. When Loesa inquired for her, they said she was in bed with her good man, who had locked the bedroom door and put the key under his pillow, and that their lady had told them that when the old man had fallen asleep, she would take the key, and they were to go to her by and by for the wax impression she would take from it, and pass to them through a trap-hole in the door. Loesa was astonished at the old man's extreme wariness, in spite of which he by no means despaired of baffling his precautions. Just then the French horn was heard. Loesa hastened to the door, and received from his friends a pot containing the promised ointment. Bidding them wait a while, and he would bring them the mould of the key, he went back to the turning-box, and told the duenna, who seemed the most eager of all the women for his admission, to give the ointment to her lady, bid her anoint her husband with it so cautiously that he should not be aware of what she was doing, and she would soon see wonders. The duenna took the pot, stole up to her mistress's door, and found her waiting on the inside, stretched full length on the floor, with her face to the trap-hole. The duenna laid herself down in the same manner, 
and putting her mouth to her mistress's ear, whispered that she had brought the ointment, telling her at the same time how to apply it. Leonora took the ointment, but told the duenna that she could by no means get the key, for her husband had not put it under the pillow as usual, but between the mattress, just under where he lay. However, she was to tell the maestro that if the ointment operated as he said, she could easily get the key as often as she pleased, and so there would be no need of copying it in wax. Having delivered this message at once, the duenna was to come back and see how the ointment worked, for she intended to apply it forthwith. The duenna, having reported all this to Loesa, he sent his friends away who were waiting without for the mould of the key. Trembling in every limb, and scarcely daring to breathe, Leonora began to rub the wrists of her jealous husband. Next she smeared his nostrils, but as she did so, the old man jerked his head, and Leonora was petrified with terror, believing that he was awake, and had caught her in the fact. It was a false alarm, however, and she went on with her task the best way she could, till she had completed it according to her instructions. It was not long before its effects manifested themselves, for presently the old man began to snore loud enough to be heard in the street. This music was more delightful to Leonora's ears than the maestro's voice or guitar, but still hardly trusting what she saw, she ventured to shake him, a very little at first, to see if he would wake, and then a wee bit more and more, till finding that he still snored on, she made bold to turn him over from one side to the other, without his showing any signs of waking. Seeing this, she stepped joyfully to the door, and in a voice, not so low as before, called out to the duenna, who was waiting with her ear to the trap-hole, "'Good news, sister. Carizales is sleeping more soundly than the dead.' "'What stops you, then, from taking the key, senora?' said the duenna. "'The musico has been waiting for it this hour and more.' "'Stay a moment, sister. I am going for it,' said Leonora, and stepping back to the bed, she put her hand between the mattresses, and drew out the key, without the old man's perceiving it. No sooner was the key in her hands, than dancing with delight she unlocked the door, and gave it to the exulting duenna, bidding her to let in the maestro, and bring him into the gallery. But as for herself, she durst not stir from that spot, for fear of what might happen. But before all things she insisted that the maestro should ratify anew the oath he had taken not to do more than they should order him, and if he would not give his renewed pledge, he was not to be let in on any consideration." "'Never fear,' said the duenna. "'Not a bit shall he come in until he has sworn, and sworn again, and kissed the cross at least six times.' "'Don't bind him to any fixed number,' said Leonora. "'But let him kiss the cross as many times as he pleases. But be sure that he swears by the life of his father, and by all he holds dear. For then we shall be safe and sure, and we may take our fill of hearing him sing and play, and exquisitely he does so, upon my word. There, now.' get you gone without more delay and let us not waste the night in words the good duenna caught up her petticoats and ran with all her speed to the turning-box where the whole party was impatiently awaiting her and no sooner had she shown them the key in her hand than they hoisted her upon their shoulders and paraded up and down with her crying viva viva but still greater was their joy when she told them there was no need to have a false key made for so soundly did the old man sleep after being anointed that they might have the house-key as often as they required it. "'Quick, then, good friend,' said one of the troop, "'open the door, and let in this gentleman who has been waiting so long, and let us have a jolly bit of music, 
for that is all we have now to do. Nay, but there is more to be done, replied the duenna, for we must exact another oath of him, the same as last night. He is so good, said one of the slave girls, that he won't grudge taking as many oaths as we like. The duenna now unlocked the door, and holding it ajar, called to Loisa, who had been listening at the aperture, to all that had passed. He was for springing in at a bound, but the duenna stopped him, laying her hand on his breast, and said, Fair and softly, Signor, I would have you to know, as God is my judge, we are all of us virgins here as truly as the mothers that bore us, except my lady, and I am one too. The Lord forgive me, though you would take me for forty years old, but I am not thirty all out wanting two months and a fortnight of my thirtieth birthday. And if I look older, it is that cares and troubles and vexations tell upon one more than years. Now this being so, it does not stand to reason that for the sake of hearing two or three songs we should risk the loss of so much virginity as is here collected together. And so you see, my sweet sir, before you enter our domain you must first take a very solemn oath that you will do nothing beyond our orders. If you think it is much we ask of you, do but consider how much more it is we risk, and if your intentions are good and proper, you will not be loath to swear, for a good paymaster does not mind giving security. Well said, Maria Lanzo, cried one of the damsels, spoken like a person of sense, and who knows what's what. If the signor won't swear, then let him not come in here. I tell you what, said Guillemar, the negress, in her broken jargon. Suppose him no swear, let him in all the same, in the devil's name. For suppose him swear, once him in, him forget everything. Loesa listened very demurely to the Signora Maria Lanzo's harangue, and replied with great gravity, Be assured, ladies, my charming sisters and companions, my intention never was, is, or shall be, than to gratify and content you to the utmost of my powers, and therefore I make no difficulty with regard to this oath which is required of me, though I could have wished that some confidence had been reposed in my simple word, which given by such a person as I am, would have been as good as a bond signed and sealed. For I would have you know, ladies, that under a bad cloak there is often a good drinker. But to the end that you may all be assured of my upright intentions, I will take the oath as a Catholic and a man of parts. I swear, then, by the immaculate efficacy, wherever it abides in greatest sanctity and fullness, by all the entrances and exits of the holy Mount Libanus, and by all that is contained in the preface to the true history of Charlemagne, with the death of the giant Firabras, not to swerve or depart from the oath I have taken, or from the commands which may be laid upon me by the least of these ladies, under penalty, should I do otherwise, or attempt to do otherwise, that from this time forth till then, and from thenceforth till now, the same shall be null and void, and of no effect whatsoever. When honest Loesa had got so far in his oath, one of the young maidens, who had listened to him with rapt attention, cried out, Well, if that is not what you may call an oath, it is enough to melt a heart of stone. Plague take me if you shall swear any more for me, for after such an oath as that you might enter the very cave of Cabra. So saying, she caught hold of him by the breeches, and drew him within the door, where the rest immediately gathered close round him. One of them ran off with the news to her mistress, who stood watching her husband, and who, 
when she heard that the musico was actually within doors, was moved almost at the same moment by joy and fear, and hurriedly asked if he had sworn. The girl told her he had done so, and with the most singular form of oath she had ever heard in her life. "'Well, since he has sworn, we have him fast,' said Leonora. "'Oh, what a good thought it was of mine to make him swear!' They were now met by the whole party advancing in procession, with the musico in the midst of them, and the negro, and Guiomar lighting the way. As soon as Loesa saw Leonora, he threw himself at her feet to kiss her hands, but without saying a word she made signs to him to rise, and he obeyed. Observing then that they all remained as mute as if they had lost their tongues, Loesa told them they might talk, and talk aloud, too, for there was no fear that their lord master would wake and hear them, such being the virtue of the ointment, that without endangering life it made a man lie like one dead. "'That I fully believe,' said Leonora, "'for were it not so, he would have been awake twenty times before this, such a light sleeper he is, in consequence of his frequent indispositions. But ever since I anointed him, he has been snoring like a pig.' "'That being the case,' said the duenna, "'let us go into the saloon, where we may hear the gentlemen sing, and amuse ourselves a little.' "'Let us go,' said Leonora. "'But let Guillemar remain here on watch, to warn, viz, if Carazales wakes.' "'Aye,' said Guillemar, "'black women stay, white women go. God pardon all.' Leaving the negress behind, the rest all went to the saloon, where they seated themselves on a rich carpet, with Leosa in the centre of the group. Maria Alonso took a candle, and began to examine the figure of the musician from bead to foot. Every one had something to say in his commendation. "'Oh, what a nice curly head of hair he has,' said one. "'What nice teeth!' cried another. "'Blanched almonds are nothing to them.' "'What eyes!' exclaimed a third. "'So large and full, and so green. By the life of my mother, they look for all the world like emeralds.' Leonora alone said not a word, but as she looked at the maestro, she could not help thinking that he was better looking than her good man. Presently the duenna took the guitar out of the negro's hands, and putting it into Loesa's, begged he would sing to it a villanetta then in high fashion at Seville. He complied. The women all jumped up and began to dance, whilst the duenna sang the words of the song with more good will than good voice. Close you watch me, mother mine, watch me and immure me. Don't you know without my help you cannot secure me? Appetite, tis said with truth, by privation groweth. Thwarted love, like flame confined, all the fiercer gloweth. Better therefore twere, methinks, you should not immure me. Don't you know without my help you cannot secure me? Close you watch me, etc. Moths will to the taper fly, bees on flowers will cluster. Keep a loving maid who can, from love's golden luster. Fear you lest that beacon light from your arm should lure me. Well, I know without my help, you cannot secure me. Close you watch me, etc. There's a way where there's a will. Keep the will from straying. Wayward hearts will have their fling, spite of all gainsaying. If you'd have me very good, don't be hard on poor me. Sure I am without, my help you cannot secure me. Close you watch me, etc. 
The song and the dance were just ended, when in rushed Guiamar, in wild affright, gesticulating as if she was in a fit, and in a voice between a croak and a whisper, she stammered out, "'Master wake, signora! Signora! Master wake! Him getting up, and coming!' Whoever has seen a flock of pigeons feeding tranquilly in the field, and has marked the fear and confusion with which they take flight at the terrible sound of the gun, may picture to himself the fluttering dismay of the dancers at the unexpected news blurted out by Guiamar. Off they ran in all directions, leaving the musico in the lurch, and in a pitiable state of perplexity. Leonora wrung her beautiful hands, and the Signora Maria Lonzo beat her face and tore her hair, but not with great violence. In short, all was panic and confusion, but the dueña, who had more cunning and presence of mind than the rest, directed that Leosa should go into her own room, while she and her mistress remained where they were, never doubting but they should find some excuse, or another, to put off upon Carizales. Loesa hid himself, and the dueña bent her ear to listen for the master's footsteps, but hearing nothing, she took courage by degrees, and, stealing on tiptoe to his bedroom, she found him snoring there just as soundly as ever. Back she ran, at her best speed, to gladden her mistress's heart with the joyful intelligence, and then discreetly resolving not to lose so lucky an opportunity of being the first to enjoy the good graces of the musico, she told Leonora to wait there while she went and called him. Hastily entering the room where he was concealed, she found him sorely discomfited by the untoward issue of his adventure, cursing the inefficacy of the ointment, the credulity of his friends, and his own want of forethought in not making an experiment with the ointment on some other person before he tried it on Carizelis. But when the dueña assured him that the old man was sleeping as soundly as ever, there was an end to all his uneasiness, and he lent a very complacent ear to the very liquorish language in which Maria Lonzo addressed him. "'Oho,' said he to himself, "'that's what you would be at, is it? Well, you will do capitally as a bait to fish with for your lady.' Whilst this tete-a-tete -tete was pending, the rest of the women had one by one crept out of their several hiding-places, to see if it was true that their master was awake, and finding all still in the house, they returned to the saloon where they had left their mistress. Having learnt from her that the alarm had been a false one, they asked what had become of the musico and the dueña. Leonora told them that Maria Lanzo had gone to fetch the maestro, whereupon they all stole out of the room as noiselessly as they had entered it, and set themselves to listen at the door to what was passing between the pair. Guiamar was one of the party, but the negro was not among them, for upon the first alarm he had run off, hugging his guitar, and hid himself in his loft, where he lay huddled up under the bedclothes, sweating with terror. In spite of which he could not forbear from tinkling the guitar from time to time. So inordinate, may Santanus confound him, was his love of music. The soft speeches of the amorous duenna were distinctly heard by the group outside the door, and there was not one of them but bestowed a blessing upon her from the wrong side of the mouth, with the addition of sundry epithets, which I had rather not repeat. The result of the confabulation between the pair was that Loesa would comply with the duenna's desires, provided that first of all she brought her mistress to consent to his. It cost the duenna something to subscribe to these conditions, but, after all, there was nothing she would not have done to compass the gratification of the desires that had laid hold on her soul and body, 
and were undermining her very bones and marrow. The bargain was struck, and quitting the room to go and speak to her mistress, she found all the rest of the women assembled round the door. Putting a bold face on the matter, she bade them all go to bed, and next night they should be able to enjoy themselves without any such false alarm as had spoiled their sport for that time. The women all knew well that the old duenna only wanted to be left alone, but they could not help obeying her, for she had command over them all. Having got rid of the servants, the duenna went back to the saloon, and began to exercise her powers of persuasion upon Leonora. She made her a long and plausible harangue, so well put together that one might have supposed she had composed it beforehand. She extolled the good looks of the gentle musico, the elegance of his manners, his wondrous suavity, and his countless and other good qualities, represented how infinitely more agreeable must be the caresses of such a charming young gallant than those of the old husband, assured her the affair would never be discovered, and plied her with a thousand other arguments which the devil put into her mouth, all so specious and artfully coloured that they might have beguiled the firmest mind, much more that of a being so artless and unwary as poor Leonora. O duenas, born and used for the perdition of thousands of modest, virtuous beings! O ye long-plated coifs, chosen to impart an air of grave decorum to the salas of noble ladies, how you reverse the functions of your perhaps needful office! In fine, the duenna talked with such effect that Leonora consented to her own undoing, and to that of all the precautions of the wary Carizales, whose sleep was the death of his honour. Maria Alonso took her mistress by the hand, led the weeping lady almost by force to Leosa, and wishing them much joy with a diabolical leer, she left them both shut in together, and laid herself down in the saloon to sleep, or rather to await the reward she had earned. Overcome, however, by the loss of rest on two successive nights, she could not keep her eyes open, but fell fast asleep on the carpet. And now, if we did not know that Carizelis was asleep, it would not be amiss to ask him, where now were all his jealous cares and precautions? What now availed the lofty walls of his house, and the exclusion from it of every male creature? What had he gained by his turning-box, his thick walls, his stopped-up windows, the enormously strict seclusion to which he had doomed his family, the large jointure he had settled upon Leonora, the presence he was continually making her, his liberal treatment of her attendants, and his unfailing alacrity in supplying them with everything he imagined they could want or wish for. But as we have said, he was asleep. Had he been awake and disposed to reply, he could not have given a better answer than by saying— as he shrugged his shoulders and arched his eyebrows, that all this had been brought to naught by the craft of an idle and vicious young man, and the wickedness of a faithless duenna, working upon the weakness of an artless and inexperienced girl. Heaven save us from all such enemies as these, against whom the shield of prudence and the sword of vigilance are alike impotent to defend us. Such, nevertheless, was Leonora's rectitude, and so opportunely did she manifest it, that all the villainous arts of the crafty seducer were of no avail, till both of them, wearied by the contest, the baffled tempter and the victorious defender of her own chastity, fell asleep almost at the moment when it pleased heaven that Carizelis should awake in spite of the ointment. As usual he felt all about the bed, and not finding his dear wife in it, he jumped up in the utmost consternation, 
and with strange agility for a man of his years. He looked all over the room for her, and when he found the door open, and the key gone from between the mattresses, he was nearly distracted. Recovering himself a little, he went out into the gallery, stole softly thence to the saloon, where the duenna was asleep, and seeing no Leonora there, he went to the duenna's own room, opened the door gently, and beheld Leonora, in Loesa's arms, both of them looking as if the sulphuric ointment was exerting its influence over themselves, instead of upon the jealous husband. Carizales was petrified with horror, his voice stuck in his throat, his arms fell powerless by his sides, and his feet seemed rooted to the ground, and though the fierce revulsion of his wrath presently aroused his torpid senses, he could yet scarcely breathe, so intense was his anguish. Thirsting for vengeance as terrible as his monstrous wrong, but having no weapon at hand, he returned to his chamber as stealthily as he had quitted it, in search of a dagger with which he would wash out the stain cast upon his honour in the blood of the guilty pair, and then massacre his whole household. But he had no sooner reached his room than his grief again overpowered him, and he fell senseless on the bed. Day broke now, and found Leonora still in the arms of Loesa. Maria Lonzo awoke, and thinking it time to receive what she counted was due her, she awoke Leonora, who was shocked to find it so late, and bitterly accused her own imprudence and the duenna's negligence. With trembling steps the two women crept up to Felipe's bedroom, praying inwardly to heaven that they might find him still snoring, and when they saw him lying on the bed, apparently asleep, they made no doubt that he was still under the effect of the opiate, and embraced each other in a transport of joy. Leonora went up to her husband, and taking him by the arm, turned him over on his side to see if he would wake without their being obliged to wash him with vinegar according to the directions given with the ointment. But the movement roused Carizales from his swoon, and having a deep sigh, he ejaculated in a faint and piteous tone, "'Miserable man that I am! To what a woeful pass I am come!' Leonora did not distinctly hear what her husband said but seeing with surprise the effect of the opiate was not lasting, as she had been led to expect, she bent over him, put her cheek to his, and pressing him closely in her arms, said, "'What ails you, dear signor? You seem to be complaining.' Carizales opened his eyes to their utmost width, and, turning them full upon her, stared at her a long while with a look of profound amazement. At last he said, do me the pleasure, Signora, to send instantly for your parents in my name, and ask them to come hither, for I feel something at my heart which distresses me exceedingly. I fear I have but a short time to live, and I should like to see them before I die. Leonora immediately dispatched the negro with this message to her parents. She fully believed what her husband had told her, and attributing his danger to the violence of the opiate, instead of to its real cause, she put her arms round his neck, caressed him more fondly than ever she had done before, and inquired how he felt, with such tender solicitude, as if she loved him above everything in the world, while he, on the other hand, continued to gaze upon her with the same unvarying look of astonishment, every endearing word or caress of hers like a dagger to his heart. The duenna had, by this time, acquainted Loesa and the domestics with her master's illness, which, she remarked, was evidently very serious, since he had forgotten to give orders that the street door should be locked after the negro's departure to summon her lady's parents. The message itself was a portentous occurrence, 
for neither father nor mother had ever set foot within that house since their daughter's marriage. In short, the whole household was in anxiety, though no one divined the true cause of the old man's illness. He lay sighing at intervals, so heavily that every sigh seemed like the parting of soul and body. Leonora wept to see him in such a state, whilst he beheld her feigned tears, as he deemed them, with a bitter smile that looked like the grin of insanity. Leonora's parents now arrived, and were struck with no little misgivings when they found both entrance-doors open, and the house all lonely and silent. They went up to their son-in-law's room, and found him in the posture he had all along maintained, with his eyes immovably fixed on his wife, whom he held by the hands, whilst both were in tears, she because she saw his flow, and he at seeing how deceitfully she wept. As soon as they entered the room, Carizales begged them to be seated, ordered all the domestics to withdraw except Maria Lanzo, then wiped his eyes, and with a calm voice and an air of perfect composure addressed them thus. I am sure, my respected father and mother-in-law, I need no other witnesses than yourselves to the truth of what I now have to say to you in the first place. You must well remember with how much love and what tender affection I received your daughter when you bestowed her upon me one year, one month, five days, and nine hours ago, as my lawful wife. You know also with what liberality I behaved to her, for the settlement I made upon her would have been more than enough to furnish three young ladies of her quality with handsome marriage portions. You must remember the pains I took to dress and adorn her with everything she could desire or I could think of as suitable to her. It is known to you likewise how, prompted by my natural disposition, fearful of the evil to which I shall surely owe my death, and taught by the experience of a long life to be on my guard against the many strange chances that occur in life, I sought to guard this jewel which I had chosen and you had bestowed upon me, with all possible care and caution. I raised the walls of this house higher, blocked up all the windows that looked on the street, doubled the locks of the doors, set up a turning-box as in a nunnery, and perpetually banished from my dwelling every vestige of the male sex. I gave my wife female servants and slaves to wait upon her. I denied her nor them anything they chose to ask of me. I made her my equal, communicated my utmost secret thoughts to her, and put my whole property at her disposal. Having done all this, I thought I might fairly expect to enjoy securely what had cost me so much, and that it would be her care not to afford me cause for conceiving any kind of jealous fear whatever. But it is not within the power of human efforts to prevent the chastisement which heaven is pleased to inflict on those who do not rest their whole hopes and desires upon it alone. No wonder, then, if mine have been deceived, and if I have myself prepared the poison of which I am now dying, but I see how anxiously you hang upon the words of my mouth. I will therefore keep you no longer in suspense, but conclude this long preamble by telling you, in one word, what no words were adequate to describe, were I to speak for ever. This morning I found this woman, here he pointed to his wife, who was born for the ruin of my peace and the destruction of my life, in the arms of a young gallant, who is now shut up in the bedchamber of this pestilent duenna, Carizelis had no sooner uttered these words than Leonora swooned and fell with her head upon his lap. Maria Lanzo turned as white as ashes, 
and Leonora's parents were so astounded that they could not utter a word. After a short pause, Carizales continued thus, The vengeance I intend to take for this outrage shall be no common one. As I have been singular in all my other actions, so will I be in this. My vengeance shall fall upon myself, as the person most culpable of all, for I ought to have considered how ill this girl's fifteen years could assert with my threescore and ten. I have been like the silkworm, which builds itself a house in which it must die. I do not reproach you, misguided girl, here he bent down and kissed his still insensible wife, for the persuasions of a wicked old woman, and the wheedling tongue of an amorous youth, easily prevail over the little wit of a green girl. But that all the world may see how strong and how true was the love I bore you, I shall give such a proof of it here, on my deathbed, as the world has never seen or heard of, one that shall remain an unparalleled example, if not of goodness, at least of singleness of heart. I desire that a notary be immediately sent for to make my will, wherein I will double Leonora's jointure, and recommend her, after my death, which will not be long delayed, to marry that young man, whom these grey hairs have never offended. Thus she will see that, as in life I never departed in the slightest particular from what I thought could please her, so I wish her to be happy when I am no more, and to be united to him whom she must love so much. The rest of my fortune I will bequeath to pious uses, after leaving to you both wherewith to live honorably for the rest of your days. Let the notary come instantly, for the anguish I am now suffering is such that, if it continues, my time here will be very short. Here Carizales was seized with a terrible swoon, and sank down so close to Leonora that their faces touched. During this scene the duenna stole out of the room, and went to apprise Loesa of all that had happened. She advised him to quit the house immediately, and she would take care to keep him informed of all that was going on, for there were no locks now to hinder her from sending the negro to him whenever it was necessary. Astounded at this news, Loesa took her advice, put on his beggar's rags again, and went away to make known to his friends the strange issue of his armor. Leonora's father, meanwhile, sent for a notary, who arrived soon after both husband and wife had recovered their senses. Carizales made his will in the manner he had stated, without saying anything of his wife's transgressions. He only declared that, for good reasons, he advised her and begged her to marry, should he die, that young man of whom he had spoken to her in private. When Leonora heard this, she threw herself at her husband's feet, and cried, while her heart throbbed as if it would burst, Long may you live, my lord and my only joy, for though you may not believe a word I say, indeed, indeed, I have not offended you, except in thought. More would she have said, but when she attempted to exculpate herself by a full statement of what had really occurred, her tongue failed her, and she fainted away a second time. The poor old man embraced her as she lay. So, too, did her parents, all three weeping bitterly, and even the notary could not refrain from tears. Carizales gave the negro and the other slaves their liberty, and left all the servants enough to maintain them. The perfidious Marialanzo alone was to have nothing beyond the arrears of her wages. Seven days afterwards Carizales was laid in his grave. Leonora remained a mourning, though wealthy, widow, and while Leosa expected she would fulfill the desire which he knew her husband had expressed in his will, 
he learned that within a week she had become a nun of one of the most austere and rigid convents in all Seville. Mortified by this disappointment, he left the country and went to the Indies. Leonora's father and mother were deeply grieved, but found consolation in the wealth which their son-in-law had bequeathed them. The two damsels likewise consoled themselves, as did the negro and the female slaves, the former being well provided for, and the latter having obtained their freedom. The wicked duenna alone was left to digest, in poverty, the frustration of her base schemes. For my part, I was long possessed with the desire to complete this story, which so signally exemplifies the little reliance that can be put in locks, turning-boxes, and walls, whilst the will remains free, and still less reason there is to trust the innocence and simplicity of youth, if its ear be exposed to the suggestions of your demure duennas, whose virtue consists in their long black gowns and their formal white hoods. Only I know not why it was that Leonora did not persist in exculpating herself and explaining to her jealous husband how guiltless she had been in the whole of that unhappy business. But her extreme agitation paralyzed her tongue at the moment, and the haste which her husband made to die left her without another opportunity to complete her justification. End of the Jealous Estramaduran Part 2